Hello, and welcome to Sharing Our Journey, a podcast from Harrodsburg Baptist Church, where we're all about sharing our journey toward Jesus. Before we dive into our Bible question and answer session, we'd like to invite you to take that journey with us. To find out more, follow us on social media at HBC Harrodsburg or visit harrodsburgbaptist.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you very soon. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Sharing Our Journey, a podcast with Harrodsburg Baptist Church. Tonight we have um, Casey, the intern, with us on camera. Excited about that. If you want, you can use that. And youth pastor Jonathan Johnston. (coughs) Um, Welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. Tonight we're going to be talking about Daniel and Ezra. And Jonathan, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind opening us in a word of prayer. I can do that. Thanks, bud. Father, we thank you for uh, this time to gather together and study your word. Uh, We thank you for your word. Thank you that you uh, have made it readily available to us and just ask that you would help us as we open it uh, and look into it tonight that we can uh, apply what you have for us uh, in your word to our lives. Just ask that you would be with everyone who's with us tonight, and for those who are watching us online, uh, just ask that you would continue to guide them and us as we seek you. All these things we thank you and praise you for. Amen. 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 All right. So, um, let's see. Like I said, we're talking about Daniel and Ezra. Um, We have... Seeing Israel go from a man to a family to a really, really big family that is enslaved (laughs) to a nation, to a nation who has gone back into slavery and has been taken away from from the promised land. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are, um, at least where we're going to start tonight uh, in the book of, of Daniel. Um, the Israelites are in exile in Babylon. The Babylonian Empire has come to rise in power, 
they have taken the Israelites out of um, Judah uh, in three waves, starting in 606 B.C. and ending in 587 B.C. or 586 B.C. And um, uh, Daniel is among those exiles, a mm-hmm. young man, it calls him in chapter 1. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel's unique because he lives through this entire exile. Like, he gets to see it. um, Not even like, you know, you can see something as a kid and not really remember it in great detail. Mm -hmm. He's not. It calls him a young man. (laughs) He's old enough to remember the details of what happened when he was taken, and he's still alive um, at at the end of the exile when people people go back. And so he has this very uh, unique take on... On uh, on this whole journey, this seventy year journey of exile um, in Babylon. <clears throat> so um, that's Daniel. Uh, he's probably around. I would say around fifteen when he's taken. Are you saying that because and they're going to be trained for three years? I'm just asking because that's kind of where I was leaning as well. Um, no, that's just what I read somewhere that he was probably <laughs> around fifteen. <Yeah. laughs> um, but he is trained for three years. He has a he has some friends, right? Um, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah, Hananiah, yeah. that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Benny. If you're a VeggieTales <laughs> fan, yeah. but Shadrach and Benny, yeah. <laughs> Rack Shack and Benny, Rack, yeah, Rack Shack and Benny, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but their Hebrew names are. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Yeah. And you and I were talking about, I don't know why their Hebrew names get thrown out. And we we use their Babylonian given names. Yeah. But Daniel, I know why we stick with Daniel, because it's a lot easier than Belteshazzar. But those Hebrew names are not harder than Abednego, right? I mean, (laughs) so I I don't know where that came from. Maybe, Maybe somebody at home can message on the uh comment section maybe they they know why that happened yeah i, I don't know it, it is interesting i mean daniel is really easy to say and it is abednego thank you for i've heard it said abednego so no, many times no, my no. whole life it's not yeah, bend yeah. it's bednego yeah uh so well, we all you know it's also wednesday though it's spelled wednesday day so yeah. i mean yeah. <laughs> yeah that's true that's true um so, I just want to kind of do a summary. Uh, the The story has uh, you read um, Daniel one through six, or mm-hmm. yeah, I think yep. actually it's one through three, and they skip four and five, and and then have you read <laughs> Pick six? Up in six. Yeah. But it doesn't. It's disjointed when you when you do that. So I, I'm just gonna do four and five in there too, <laughs> um, and then we'll see how far we get there, and and then I'm hoping to touch on the book of Ezra tonight as well. Um, so. Uh, chapter one, you have Daniel, uh, who he comes and with with his buddies Rakshak and Benny, and um, and they they are found to be see, what Babylon does. They come in, they take control of a, of a territory, they conquer it, and then they take the best and the brightest, right? Right. And they take them to their their school of wise men, and they train them. They they want. Um, that intellectual superiority on their on their side. Um, so these four guys are found to be um, gifted 
academically, and so they get sent to this school. Um, and they're given the best food of the kingdom, right? It's, it's the king's, from the king's table. It's the king's food. It's kingly food. And they say, no, we don't want to eat that. that bec- and why? Because it's against their, right. uh, the Mosaic law. Mm-hmm. And I was um, looking at, well, it says that, Daniel says that he's resolved, is re- he was resolved not to defile himself. Mm-hmm. So we don't really know what the food was. We just know that he knew yeah. If he ate it, he would be defiled. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, in the midst of a nation that we, that we understand was, was living in habitual sin, which is why they're in exile, it's great that we, that we know that yeah. we have people, such as these four, guys, these four young men, who are wanting to follow the Lord. They have a zeal for God's word, for his law, for what he wants and how he wants them to live. And, um, and you know, that's who Daniel stay. That's who he is through his whole life. Like he really is one of, you know, we, we often put these old Testament guys up on pedestals. Sure. Daniel makes mistakes, but, they're few and far between, it would seem, in his life. Like, he really does seem to follow the Lord his whole life. Um, so, uh, he doesn't want to defile himself. I was thinking about food and, um, and was, was, was looking at uh, kind of this difference between, like, what would defile you and what wouldn't defile you. And of course, they, they asked to eat vegetables, um, but there are some meats that they're allowed to eat, right? They can eat cows, for for example. Beef, yes. Yeah. They, yeah. But they they can't eat pigs, right? So yeah, I was right. kind of like, what? What's what is the big deal? Like, why does God say that about certain animals and not about other animals? Like, wh- what does it matter? And so I was kind of looking into that a little bit, and I was looking at cows, and cows are herbivores. Okay, they eat. Veggies. They only eat veggies. Right. And they also uh, are what's known as um, ruminants, which means that they have uh, a, multi- a multi-stomach digestive system. Okay. okay? So, so cows, sheep, deer, antelope, giraffe, they all have this multi-stomach digestive system. And it is interesting because it removes toxins from what they ingest before the nutrients from that go out into their 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 flesh into okay. the meat of, of of who they are uh what they are um so therefore you know if you were to kill a cow and eat it it would be clean there's no toxins in that meat a pig on the other hand has a single stomach and pigs, man, they they eat everything. They eat everything. <laughs> right, they right. eat everything. I I had um, the great privilege of of working um, a little bit on a pig farm, and when you go into a pigsty, it is bare. Like if anything were to grow in there, it just gets eaten. Right. <laughs> right. yep. Like there's nothing, yeah. and they don't care if it's 
if it's a if it's a dead mouse, if it is um, you know grass, if it is if another pig poops on their face, they just lick it off and eat it. They don't care. I mean, I literally watched that happen. That's why I say that. Um, uh. It's pretty gross. And uh, um, did you say pretty gross? I think that's that's understated. That's, it, it's that's really very, gross. Very gross. Oh, man, I'm sorry, but if someone pooped on my face, I would freak out. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> yeah. But the pigs, yeah. they don't care. So they have this one stomach, and they, and they do absorb toxins into their flesh when they ingest food. Um, and I just I look at that, and I think, man, isn't God's law amazing? Because these people, like, I know they studied things, and they were smart, and, and they knew about stuff, but did they really know about toxins? Did they really know about, um, like, microbiology and how that would affect your health and things like that. And, but God did know, and he built that into his law for, for this, for this nation Mm -hmm. that he wanted to keep safe and protect so that he could bring the Messiah into the world through them. And I think that that is just an incredible thing. So, so Daniel offers up this challenge. Um, He says, Hey, let us eat what we, what we want, just vegetables and water for 10 days. And see what ha- let's see what happens. And the ten days are up, and they are healthier, and more alert, and um, whatever than all of the other wise quote unquote wise men who are eating from the king's table. And so uh, from that point on, I mean, th- the person in charge over them at that time, it's like, okay, you guys can eat whatever you want. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you the vegetables. Um, so. That's chapter one in a nutshell. Uh, do you have anything that, to add there? From Well, I, I, w- I would just add at the back half of chapter one, starting in verse 17. So because they're obedient uh-huh. in not wanting to defile themselves according to the Mosaic law. Um, oh, yeah. Over, I'll, ten, I'll, yeah, over 10 days, yeah, over, over 10 days, it does show results to where the guard that's in charge of them allows them to keep doing that. Right. But then in verse 17, we see that God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. Yeah. So that at the end of the three years uh, of training with these other, their peers, basically, uh, at the end of that time, when the king comes and, and basically interviews them, Daniel and his three friends show out best. Uh, and part of that is is due to the diet, but a lot of that is they were obedient to God, yeah. And because of that, God elevated them above the, the others who were there with them. That's right, and I think that's that's pretty cool too. Um, uh, later, we're going to see that that the king finds that Daniel is is ten times uh, smarter, basically, than everybody else that he asks questions to. Right. Um, and it's interesting that that is because of his of their obedience to uh, to God. Um, pretty neat, pretty neat stuff. Um, I, that also makes me think of you know when you're in school and you got a test and then, and you you, you might want to pray before you have the test because <laughs> maybe you didn't study uh, study as well as you should have. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've had students ask me that before, like ask me to pray for them because they were going to take a test uh-huh. and and so i always tell them i'm like well what i'll pray is that god helps you remember and recall everything you've studied 
Because, yeah. <laughs> because I think a lot of times we, we, we say, oh, pray for me for this test so that things that I don't know magically appear on my paper. But <laughs> it's like, no, God wants you to put in the work right. and the study, and we can pray that he'll help you and, recall that. And, and they and had. You, right. And <laughs> they, they, they yeah, had. Daniel and the guys, they did the work. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah. So chapter two, uh, chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Dreams are great. Dreams are fun. Um, I'm in trouble with uh, seeing those Facebook uh, comments that I told you that I was going to be monitoring. Yeah, yeah, those. Asked. Yeah. Um, so Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and here's here's what I think is so smart about what he does here is he's he's like he doesn't want to tell anyone the dream. Right. It's like, look, I need to know, but I need to know that what you tell me is right. <laughs> so if you're really so wise and you can um, read the stars or whatever it is, then you need to uh, be able to tell me what I dreamed. <laughs> um, so he has them. That's, that's, the, that's the thing. You tell me what, you tell me what I dreamed. And then, yeah. tell me what that means, and I won't murder you and your whole family <laughs> right, and burn right, up yeah, your he, houses. Yeah, he threat he threatens them. Yeah, <sighs> like everything about them, not just them, but their families yeah, and their homes. Yes. <laughs> like <laughs> he's yeah. gonna turn it all to mm-hmm. rubble and and kill them all. Um, that's pretty harsh. I mean, I think that's that's a little extreme, but uh, that that is what he says. So. Uh, They can't do it. They're like, nobody can do this. Right. Nobody can do this. This is impossible. Mm-hmm. And so the king sends out the guards to, like, gather them all up. He's ready to, he's ready to kill them. And they, uh, Daniel's like, wait a second. What are, what are you talking about? Like, give us a shot here. <laughs> so he goes before <laughs> the king, and um, he says, look, I can't do it, but I know, a God, I know the God who can. Mm-hmm. So, so let me go pray. And he tells us, right? He's Rack Shack and Benny, you guys pray. Let's <laughs> let's uh, let's pray. And they do that, and God does reveal to him what the dream was. And he comes back. Um, his prayer is really, really great too. Um, it's chapter two, verse starting verse twenty. It says uh, that Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, "Praise be to the to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. His changes." He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God, my, my Father. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. And so, you know, even on the, uh, um, I don't, I don't even think God's revealed to it, it to him yet. Yeah, he, he oh, did. Oh, he did. He uh, did. Verse yeah, 19. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yep. did. Yeah, you're right. I was like, he are, he's praising him before it happened, um, <laughs> uh, which is cool. Um, but yeah, so as soon as this happens, man, that's his response to praise. And right. When God does stuff in our life, I just, um, 
I hope that that's our response too. You know, to mm-hmm. to just stop before he, he his life is on the line. But he's like, I'm not even going to go. I know what the I know what the dealio is, but I'm not going to go to the king yet. I got to take time to praise God first. Right. And uh, I think that that's I think that that's pretty cool. Um. So then he goes to the king and he says, "Look, um, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and." That God, he's told me what your dream was. Here it is, and here's what it means. And he goes through this this whole thing about the statue and um, about what what all of that means and how it's how it's a prophecy about the the coming empires and um, and even uh, I, what I think is some end times stuff. Um, but um, the Israelites. Because of their sin, you know, in they're going to get to go back to their homeland for a while, right. Right. but they are never going to be a free people. Mm-hmm. Um, well, at least not in the Old Testament. Right. They're, they're going to uh, they're going to go from the Babylonian Empire, then they're going to be under the Medo Persian Empire, then they're going to be over the 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 Grecian Empire, then the Roman Empire. Um, and then they'll be disbanded across the earth at some point uh, there in the Roman Empire. Um, so uh, their their sin had far-reaching consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, and like we've been saying from day one of the story, um, this this life all comes down to a a personal decision to follow God, mm-hmm. to follow Christ. It, it, is a, it is a matter of the heart. Who has your heart? And we see God supernaturally take care of Daniel and Rakshak and Benny <laughs> um, uh, because they're following him, mm-hmm. and they've made that decision to not defile themselves, as it said in chapter 1. So, um, yeah, that's chapter 2. Um, chapter three, I also say that the, uh, there's, in that vision, there's a a rock that comes down, almost like a meteorite or something (laughs) that comes down and, and smashes the feet of that statue and, um, and sets up an eternal kingdom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that that's pretty clearly a, um, meant to represent Christ and mm-hmm. his kingdom uh, that will never perish, spoil, or fade. <coughs> uh, so chapter 3, you know, we just had this vision about a statue, and it gets smashed. <laughs> and then yeah. what does Nebuchadnezzar turn around and do? He builds a statue. <laughs> yeah. in, in the manner of, like, I'm sure there's years involved here, but, like, in verse 46... Uh-huh. of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar falls down, pays homage yeah. to Daniel, and gives orders to present an offering and incense to him, yeah. and then says to Daniel, your God is indeed God of gods, Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. And then, <laughs> then what, like four <laughs> verses later, <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wait a second. Yeah, I what, think he, what he missed something there. <laughs> yeah, some, something didn't, didn't um, He He... he Praises God with his lips and then turns around and builds a statue of himself yeah. and tells everyone to bow down to it. And so, uh, verse 49 is important too, um, just because it explains why, because 
I don't know, growing up in, in church and in Sunday school, you would always have the story of the fiery furnace, mm-hmm. and you would have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but, but Daniel's not mentioned. And so it was always kind of disconnecting for me as a kid, like, well, why were they buddies and together in the first part of Daniel, and then all of a sudden, where's Daniel? What Did he bow to the statue? Because right. those three didn't. But it's verse 49 of chapter 2 explains that at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to manage the province of Babylon. Daniel remained at the king's court. So there's yeah. there's kind of the separation of them as, as far as geographically somewhat. Um, and I think that's why Daniel's not mentioned during the the yeah. fiery furnace episode that you're getting into here. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it is bizarre that he's not um, mentioned in that story. But... <coughs> Um, what does it say? It says that he made him rule over the. Yeah, I don't know. So the, I don't so know why. I don't know why he's not in the story. Well, the stat. So the statue. The, the again in in Jewish writing, it's it's not always chronological, but themes connect. So I do think there's a gap of time here where Nebuchadnezzar did praise God, and then the next thing you know, Nebuchadnezzar is building a statue. Um, but he sets the statue, it says in verse 1, yeah. set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Right. So that's, they just told you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are there. Like verse 49 of the previous chapter said, they get shipped to the province of Babylon. So basically this statue is being built and placed where they have been sent um, to manage. And that, I think Daniel is... is Prized by the king, he's in the king's court. He's, I mean, this is speculation. This is not here, uh, but I think the reason he's not mentioned is because he's, he's not one who would be required to bow to this statue because he's not in the in the province of Babylon, the plain of Dura, uh, where this is. Maybe so. I get. I guess we'll we'll find out someday. But. Uh, um, we can ask him like one day be like Daniel. I know. Like where that'd be where fun, were right? you, man? Like where were you at? Can you just imagine all the stories that aren't in here that <laughs> right? that uh yeah. these these characters have to tell. Um so chapter 3, he built this is probably the chapter that we're all most familiar with. Uh this is the Sunday school story chapter where he builds the the golden statue, bow down to it. They don't so he throws him in the furnace. He says, hey, make that thing seven times hotter than uh, it usually is. <laughs> and I don't even know how you do that. Like, how hot is that? How yeah, do you? I, <laughs> how do you I, right. Um, did they have, like, those special logs from Back to the Future 3 that made the train go faster that they threw in the furnace or something? Some, I don't, sort, of, some sort of accelerant to make it burn hotter? What? Air and fuel. <laughs> air and fuel. Air and air. Yep. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. They pumped the billows a little harder, put some more oxygen in there. I don't know. But um, what happens is uh, they, they say, look, they say, look, King Neb, we are thrown, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And I like this story just because I feel like, I mean, 
I hope that none of us are ever threatened with being thrown into a furnace. But there are times when it feels like life is trying to throw us into a furnace. Mm-hmm. And there are times when, um, you know, whether it's uh, problems at work or at home or whatever, uh, there are times that feel like fiery furnace situations. And it's good to, to be able to look at God's word and see that there are people who, who would say, look, if you throw us in there, we know our God's going to rescue us. And even if he doesn't, mm-hmm. we're going to keep praising him. And of course, we all know the end of the story. Right. They do get thrown in. And it's, they, I mean, it's hot in there. <laughs> but God saves them. Mm-hmm. And I don't really think that today's any different. We might still be thrown in. And there still might be, you know, pain is very real. Heartache is very real. Um, but I believe that God is still a God who rescues and who saves. Mm-hmm. And um, we just need to keep praising him because he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, his love never fails. His mercies are new every morning. And uh, no matter what we're going through, we know that he is still worthy to be praised and that he is a God who desires to rescue us because what does it do when, when we are in an impossible situation where, that we can't get ourselves out of and God pulls us out of that? What does it do in this story? Right. Yeah. It, it makes Nebuchadnezzar realize that God is God. Yeah. 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 In fact, he even sees, what, a fourth person a in fourth there. A fourth person walking around. Yeah. And... Um, which, you know, I don't know if we can confirm or not, but I think we can at least speculate that that's a pre-incarnate Jesus who comes and is with them in the fire. Um, At at the very least, it is a supernatural being sent by God to be with them in the fire. Right. Uh, And they come out, and they're fully clothed. They get thrown in. Nothing is singed. Not a hair on their head is singed. Their their clothes are fine. And it even says that they don't smell. And if you've been around a fire for five seconds, <laughs> you come away smelling like smoke. And they don't yeah. even smell like smoke. Right. So um, this, I don't know. It's a pretty pretty cool story. Pretty incredible story. Yeah. Um, yeah. You got, you got anything else about that? No, I, I, mean, I mean, like you said, it's amazing when you look through, even when they're tossed in... <laughs> They got the furnace so hot that it, the the flames killed the, guards, killed the men yeah. who were carrying them. Uh-huh. Um, one, it says something about Nebuchadnezzar's rage that he's willing to sacrifice his his men to to kill these guys. Um, but then you already pointed out that when they come out, then to not only not only did they survive it, they don't have any signs of the trauma like there, there's nothing and they survive it in a way that can't be explained in no. any other terms right than their god right saved them and what a great testimony that is to the people around them the people they know to the king and uh um and then nebuchadnezzar praises god again right. <laughs> you know uh, praise be to the god of shadrach meshach and abednego 
who has sent his angel and rescued the ser- his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. He's really all about the rubble. He's, and the he's, really about, he's very specific <laughs> with how he wants to punish them. Um, just for, in case anybody's not clear. For no other God can save in this way. Um, so... You know, not only is it a great testimony to who God is for Nebuchadnezzar, but he makes this decree that um, that everyone under his empire mm-hmm. not speak against this God. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they had no way to know that that was going to be the outcome of that. But what an awesome outcome to the fact that they said, no, we are going to praise God no matter what. Yeah. Well, and it ends up resulting in a pagan king mm-hmm. praising God as well. Yeah. Like, because there's, there's never any, that's one of the things in the book of Daniel, there's never any indication that, like, Nebuchadnezzar has these moments where it seems like, oh, he's going to get it. Like, this is where Nebuchadnezzar gets it, and now he's Christian. <laughs> he never, like, he always goes back. Uh-huh. Um, so, it, one, it shows the patience and the mercy of God just revealing himself to Nebuchadnezzar multiple times. But even though he's not going to ultimately end up praising God with his life, he he does, from his own lips, <laughs> praise God. And yeah. so it, it just shows the power of God, too, to bring forth praise, even even from those who are not going to uh, ultimately follow him. Right. He, he's still holy enough and, and majestic enough that he deserves and demands praise from all lips. And, and to me, it's kind right. of a foreshadowing of, you know, you see at the end of Scripture that one day every knee yeah. is going to bow. Yeah. Like that, sure, the ones of us who are following him, we should want to bow, but every knee is going to bow. Yeah. Even the ones who would say he doesn't exist in that moment, yeah. They, You're going to know they're he gonna exists. They're going to praise him too, <laughs> even, though, even though it's not going to do them any benefit, they're going to praise him yeah. too. Yeah. And that's, it's, you just see kind of a taste of that with Nebuchadnezzar over and over in the book of Daniel. I know, I know. There, there's, there's even the, um, the I think it's Psalm, Psalm 150, verse 7 maybe, that says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. And there's this, um, I don't even know what to call it. Uh, this old r- rabbinical thought, I guess, that, uh, that you know, they... We'll we'll say the word Yahweh, but they don't say the word Yahweh. Right. They right. leave the vowels out. They, in fact, we don't even know if that's how to say it because <laughs> they they don't write it down. We filled it in. Um, yeah. uh, but the thought there is that um, that that actually sounds makes the sound of breathing. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I can do it loud enough and make it sound that way. Uh, yeah, like. Yahe vahe would yeah. be the thing, but, um, but take the vowels out. Yeah, it, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, but it, make, it makes the the sound of breath. So let everything that has breath mm-hmm. praise the Lord. And it goes into what you're saying that one day every tongue's going to confess and, and every knee's going to bow, and um, and everyone's going to know that that Jesus is Lord and that this is God's word and it was right about all things <laughs> right. <laughs> and inspired by Him. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. So he's just interesting, an interesting dude. Uh, so we get to chapter four, and he has another dream. It's the second dream, and he's like, "Man, um, what does this dream mean, Daniel?" And Daniel tells him, "He's like, look, you're gonna be prideful, and God's going to basically turn you into a wild animal. Yeah, and then you're gonna lose your status, and you're gonna be out in the field. You're gonna be eating bugs and rolling around in the dirt or whatever. And and then there's gonna come a time when you finally humble yourself." And God will restore you, yeah. and that's exactly what happens. Um, so he was he was the beast in Beauty and the Beast before Beauty and the Beast, right? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Right? It's like kind it's of. like that's not even an original idea, right? The Bible yeah. had it first. Yeah. Well, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? Right. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, but it, it says, uh, <laughs> "What's this chapter two is Nebuchadnezzar's speaking? I don't know if he's like dictating and Daniel's writing this down or." <laughs> What the deal is here, but he's actually telling this story in like from the first person view almost, right? So yeah. uh, he says, at the end of that time, my Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Mm-hmm. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Um, and uh, he says at the end of that chapter, um, he says, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble, uh, and that's I think kind of sums up that whole that whole chapter pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're a king, it doesn't matter if you're a peasant, it doesn't matter if you're an intern. <laughs> those <laughs> those uh, who are full of pride, he is who walk in pride. He is able to humble. Um, so. Pretty weird story there. Pretty interesting mm-hmm. one too. Uh, chapter five, uh, we get to um, this guy. It's not Nebuchadnezzar anymore. I guess he has retired or died. I'm not sure. Um, but we've got King Belshazzar, uh, who's having a banquet, and he gets the. He goes into the treasury and he p- pulls out the. Um, the golden goblets from Israel's temple, from from the temple in Jerusalem that were consecrated and made for holy things. And he pours wine in all of them, and um, and they get they get drunk. They have a big party. They get drunk, and uh, um, and God doesn't like it, and you might be like, well, okay, what's the big deal? Because the cups have been there for a long time. Um, Why does it matter now? But God really does not appreciate man using holy things for sinful purposes. Right? Right. Right. (laughs) He really doesn't like it. And so um, this hand appears out of nowhere and writes on the wall uh, and leaves a message. Just the fingers of a man's hand. Right? Uh So it's Uh just, yeah. So not... (laughs) Like, even creepy. A hand was creepy. Yeah, right? yeah. Like the Adams like, family like or cousin something. It, right? Or is that Cousin It or Thing? What, what's it called? Yeah, Thing. Uh, cousin It's the hairy one, right? Uh, but but it, Scripture says it's just the fingers mm-hmm. of a man's hand. Yeah. So it's like you, you don't even get the whole hand. <laughs> you just get some fingers, which is even next level creepy. Yeah, yeah it really that. is. It yeah. really is, yeah. Um. Nobody can tell him what it means, which I think is kind of weird because I'm pretty sure it's Arabic, Aramaic. Who but knows? nobody can right. 
tell him what that means. So then Daniel comes in again, old man Daniel. He's he's old now, mm-hmm. and he tells him what it means. Um, basically, he says, "Look, stop what you're doing and humble yourself, <laughs> or you're going to die." Right. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't, of course, and he dies that night. In fact, this is the fall of the Babylonian Empire, chapter five. This, mm-hmm. um, I th- I think. Uh, from what I was researching that, um, you know, the city of Babylon had these huge walls. I mean, it was like an impenetrable city, or at least they thought it was. <laughs> um, and the, the Persian, the Medo-Persian armies have been strategically taking down Babylonian strongholds, and they come to Babylon and they're there that night outside the city, but um, Belshazzar is so prideful that they can't get to him. He's having a party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, what happens is kind of crazy. The, um, the man, now I can't remember the name of the, of the river. The, it might be the Euphrates. I think it's the Euphrates River ran through the city of Babylon. And it ran under a portion of the wall. And they they dug and built stuff to divert the river away from the wall. And then they went under the wall. So it wasn't impenetrable. But that's what they did. And then they come in and assassinate Belshazzar. Um, and, you know, we just, again, get to that, that thing where God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And... Right. Um, that's so so Daniel <laughs> survives this <laughs> uh, unlike the king here and Darius the Mede is put in charge of the city of Babylon or this this the province of Babylon uh, by King Cyrus who's the king of the Persian Empire and there's one thing a pretty big difference between the Babylonians and the Persians is that when the Babylonians made a law like Nebuchadnezzar could say worship this statue one day and the next day could say no worship Daniel's God and he just changes the law willy-nilly and that's what they did the Persians had laws that said once the king makes a decree you can't change that law and this comes into play the rest of Daniel it comes into play in the book of Esther which we'll get to uh, next Next week week. it comes into play in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah um, they can't change th- their rules. So you'll notice that they're, they're very specific in chapter 6 when they want Daniel gone, that they make this law with Darius, but they put a time limit on it. And they say, for the next 30 days, everybody needs to worship you. Because um, all they want to do is get rid of Daniel. They don't want to actually worship <laughs> the king forever. And they know once uh, he decrees it, they're going to have to follow it. They can't change it. Um, so, uh, yeah, Daniel, he gets thrown in the lion's den (laughs) and he's old. Like he was a young man in chapter one. He is not a young man anymore. It's been, um, almost 70 years. Like he's probably 85, 90 years old. Uh, and he gets thrown into a lion's den with a bunch of hungry lions for the whole night. Now, 
that's not a good situation. An old <laughs> man can't really that old. I mean, I, I'm sure he couldn't defend himself against the lion. I don't. I don't think the age would really matter. That, <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I'm a whole saying, den of lions. Hungry lion versus anybody in their prime. It's yeah. my my point is this <laughs> that. This can be explained by no other means other than Daniel's God, other right. than our God. Right. Um, just like Rackshack and Benny in, in their furnace situation. Yeah. So, um, man, and like them, I just have to ask myself, am I in the lion's den? And when I am in the lion's den, how am I going to respond? Mm-hmm. Um, because Daniel... Uh, responds in faith and trust in God. And because of that, God rescues him from the lions. Um, Darius sends out a decree to everyone under the Persian, under his, under his rule in this province now, hey, worship Daniel's God, <laughs> like praise <laughs> Daniel's God. And Daniel continues to prosper as, as like, you know, a, a, an advisor to the king. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know, just just keep praising God. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> it's the best way to live. And sometimes it's the only way to survive. Um, so that's, that's Daniel 1 through 6. You got anything in 6 you want to add there? No, I, I think it's just, it, again, this is what king, king or leader number 3, Daniel's under. Um, all three of them are impacted through his testimony, through his walk with God. Mm-hmm. Two of the three <laughs> praise God with their own lips. The other one is just told, "Hey, you're you're going to die," and he does. Uh, but it it just again, Daniel remains faithful. His obedience to God, God blesses him. God's with him. And even in the midst of this exile, it serves as a reminder for for God's people that he's with them. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're blessed with knowledge and wisdom and discernment and ten times more than all the other young men in the the school. And it just, you can go on and on about Mm -hmm. this. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, Really great, really great stuff um, that we see in Daniel. And that's just the first half of the book. We don't even have time to touch the second half of the yeah, book. Yeah. Um, and really, we didn't. We barely touched the first half of the book. <laughs> but uh, I want to try to just cover just a bit. We've got about 12 minutes, um, 13 minutes maybe, to cover some of Ezra. Mm-hmm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you lead the, okay. the Ezra stuff. Um, right. Well, I mean, the very first thing that happens with Ezra... Um, it, right off the bat, Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 tells you, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. So you got to go back to Jeremiah's prophecy mm-hmm. yeah. that no one in Israel wanted to listen to. Nope. Where he said, you're going to be in exile 70 years. Yep. And when they rejected him and he would lament to God, God told him, stay the course. I'm telling you what you're saying is correct. Yeah. One day they're going to know that this is correct. Now, Jeremiah's not around anymore. He's not. He's gone. I said, I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again, that they, they were taken to Babylon in three waves, 606 B.C., 
597 BC and 586 BC. I think those are right. Right. They they go back in three waves. 536 BC, 527 BC, and 516 BC. 70 year increments. Right. So either any way you look at either it. Either way you look at it. What he told Jeremiah. Uh, what he was told correct. Jeremiah was absolutely yeah. spot on. Uh, but so that that would be fulfilled, it says the Lord put it into the mind of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom. So again, here you have a pagan king, but God, so that his word would be fulfilled, yeah. moves in the mind of King Cyrus and says, hey, this would be a really good idea. Yeah, And Cyrus has to do it, mm-hmm. right? So again, you just see... It, for me, it kind of ties to when you see Jesus with Pilate, and Jesus looks at him and says, you you would have no authority except for what's been given to you. It, it's illustrated in the Old Testament here. Like, God can cause Cyrus to make a proclamation to send the Israelites back. Well, it also has a lot. Of, I mean, there's some parallels there with um, the Exodus. They mm-hmm. He doesn't just let them go but like he and the people give them gifts like it's like seed money almost that they give them to to rebuild the temple and to go back to to their land yeah um and the same thing happened in the exodus the people were like giving them giving them stuff as part parting gifts yeah as they they go yeah Yeah. so the same thing happens in first chapter of ezra uh and then they return from exile um it you know there's a breakdown that tells you all the material they accumulated from gifts. There's a list of the exiles who returned and the number of, of Israelites uh, that, that came back all the way through chapter two. Um, and then you get to chapter three where they kind of, they arrive back. What are they going to do? Uh, and you've got kind of the two leaders at that point are Zerubbabel uh, and um Jeshua, and they are um, seeking to do the right things. They set up the altar to God first. They start gathering together to present offerings before the Lord like had been prescribed for them in Mosaic law. They start observing all, it says, all the, the Lord's holy occasions. So they start having these festivals and times that are supposed to they're supposed to help them recall what God has done for them in their history, Hmm. um, which I think is important. They're coming out of exile. The very thing that was kind of taken away or or attempted to be taken away by the Babylonians in that exile was this sense of national identity. Yeah. And and, and and their culture. You're in chapter three, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, it says that in the seventh month they came uh, and Isra- the Israelites had settled in their towns. The people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. And yeah. the, the, the reason is that it's the start of one of their holy festivals. It's the uh, um, Rosh Hashanah. It's right. the Feast of Trumpets. Yeah. So it's this 10-day period where they're supposed to spend time as a nation repenting and praying and fasting. And um, it ends with the Day of Atonement. And then it's followed by the Feast of Tabernacles, mm-hmm. um, and so they've they've come together as one to to do that, right? Um, and and it starts with that one, 
right? Mm -hmm. Like coincidentally, yeah, <laughs> right. Well, because what do they need to when, do? That's when Cyrus has moved to send them is is in time where they can be there for that festival, right? Which I mean, is exactly what they need, right? Right. I mean, they need to repent, repent, <laughs> and be restored uh -huh. and atone, like all right. of it. Yeah. Uh, so they do that, and Scripture even points out they did this even though they were fearful of the surrounding peoples. So the other nations around them. I mean, their exiles coming back. They're, they're not a mighty military power. Well, their land has been filled with their enemies because right. the Assyrians who came before the Babylonians populated the land, <laughs> right. the the northern yeah. kingdom, with other people under the Assyrian rule, and then right. the Babylonians sent people from the Babylonian Empire into the southern kingdom. So they're kind of surrounded by their enemies, right? Like, <laughs> and and they're afraid of that, but they still do what they know to be right. Mm -hmm. They still start with this worshiping God through sacrifice on the altar. Um, and then they move into rebuilding the temple. Um, they, they get as far as the foundation being completed and they decide to have this big worship service. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Which is cool. They're having basically a worship service on a, on a foundation slab. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's nothing else. It's, right. It's just the slab. And they gather together on that. Um, but they have music. Uh, it says it's the, the people descended from Asaph. You and I were talking about that earlier today. Asaph, if you look him up, is is the music leader for David. Uh, he's a Some of the psalms are attributed to him. Um, so this is like the descendants of the musician for, for Israel. Um, they come in and offer praise, and then you have this gathering of all the people, singing praise and thanksgiving. It tells you what they sing, for he is good. His faithful love to Israel endures forever. Um, you think they just repeated that over and over again? I, I think so, right? That's that's all we have. I mean, that's all we have. Maybe, maybe they did something else, but, I mean, what, what else do you want to sing besides that God is good and his faithful love to you in this case, because they're Israel, endures, endures forever? forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's enough, yeah, right? Yeah, sure is. Um so they sing that, and then all the people give a great shout of praise to the Lord because of, of the foundation being laid. So just the fact they had made it that far, they're, they're thankful and they're praising God for that. Uh, and then, as, as we discussed in the sermon Sunday, the interesting dynamic then of the people who had been there before. So these are, these are pretty old people, if you think about it. They've been gone 70 years. Yeah. So people who remembered seeing the first mm -hmm. temple that was destroyed, uh, they began to weep loudly, and then the others are still shouting joyfully, uh, but neither are described in Scripture as being in the wrong. It, it doesn't say right. God's displeased with either. So then we're led to believe in that passage that God is receiving both of those acts as acts of worship to him, and they're both pleasing. Yeah, And, and I think a lot of times we can get caught up in thinking worship has to look a certain way or be a certain thing. Mm -hmm. um, and this passage is one that's like, no, it, it's, it really is. It's what's coming from your heart and why are you reacting that way? Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think if the older Levites had been reacting out of self-pity or out of some sort of um, disappointment with what the, the foundation looked like, then I don't think God would have received that as acceptable. That wouldn't have been pleasing to him. So I, I, I have to believe then that they're weeping 
was based off of them looking and recognizing the full weight of what caused the exile in the first place, yeah. the full weight of what caused the destruction of the temple in the first place. And in that moment to, to realize we as a nation were so sinful yeah. that it took this to, to, to bring us back to this point. Yeah. And there's, there's, you have thankfulness that you are back at that point. You have thankfulness for the mercy of God that he's allowed you to see it. There, there's just a lot of emotions, I think, wrapped up there in, in the weeping of the people to where it is acceptable to God because it's, it's, it's weeping out of gratitude and appreciation for who God is and what he's done. Um, yeah, it does kind of um, allude that, you know, the people who are, whether you're weeping or, or shouting for joy, you're, they're both singing, he is good, his love for Israel yeah. endures forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a valid point. I, w- I do want to point this out, too, um, kind of on the opposite end of that. They, they build this temple. Uh, the first temple, the glory of God, when it was consecrated, you know, the glory of God came down on that temple right. and, and resided in the temple. Yeah. Um, that never happens with this temple. Right. Uh, the glory of God does not show back up in the temple for 500 years um, or more until Jesus walks into, into that temple. temple. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, I don't know, just something worth keeping, making note of, I think. Yeah. But uh, again, I think you see the brokenness of God's people in this passage. And then if you continue in Ezra, you, you see that like shortly after that, They've got this great worship service, but then after that, uh, they have some people from the other nations who offer to help, yeah. and they tell them no, uh-huh. which it seems that that's the right thing to do, to say no, but then those people decide that they're going to bribe other Israelites. I have conflicting thoughts about this. Yeah, they start telling them, you know, to discourage, like, uh-huh. basically they start planting people yeah. within, the, within the people of God. They sabotage it. Yeah, within the people of God to discourage the people of God from building the temple, and so the people of God stop. But initially they come and say, we want to help. Right. So do they, <laughs> do they try really, to sabotage it they because really they said help? no? Right. Or, or were they trying to all along? Right. I don't know. What's interesting to me is that was not the temple... It, really meant for all nations to begin with yeah and all nations came to them to help rebuild it and they said no right uh, and maybe it was because they knew that they were trying to sabotage maybe it. i don't know yeah. but yeah it's just that's been playing that's been rolling <laughs> around in my head uh yeah. today so but it ends up taking i think roughly 20 years to get yeah. the temple completed because they they stop yeah and what ends up happening is everyone then goes to their own interests and goes and they want to build something. So, well, if we're not working on the temple, then I'm going to build this really nice estate for myself. And so they all start building their own homes until you, you bring in Haggai. Haggai and comes Haggai in. comes with a word from the Lord that says, mm-hmm. um, why, why are your houses looking so nice while my building still lies in ruins and kind of wakes them back up? To, yeah. Oh, yeah, we came back from exile with all this momentum to build the temple and what, like just because we were discouraged by some people who were, who were in our midst, we decided to stop that and get focused on our own interest. And to me, well, yeah, go ahead. To to me, kind of a takeaway there is, is 
how many times in our own lives do we know we're on the right path and following after God with something God has very specifically given us or, or led us to do? Mm-hmm. And then because of discouraging voices in our midst, yeah, we we pull back and say, "What you know? What I I need to go guard my own interests." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of staying the course with what God said to do until yeah. something happens where God's like, hey, this is where I wanted you. I'll, t- I'll take care of your interests. Like, this is what I want from you. And the thing is that even though they, they were trying to take care of their own interests, it wasn't really working out for them. No. And Haggai comes in and he says, hey, let me ask you a question. If, um, <laughs> if I go out and, and touch a dead body and then I come... Is, is my, am I unclean? They're like, yeah. Well, if I touch a dead body and then I go touch my food, is my food unclean? And they're like, yeah, of course. He's like, well, okay, so you guys came back here and you started building the temple, but then you stopped doing what God wanted you to do and you went and touched something that was unclean because you're supposed to come back and do this thing. Right. And now you're touching all this other stuff and you're wondering why it's not working out. Mm-hmm. And so he, he kind of turns the, their, that law into a parable and, yeah. and draws them back in. But um, Haggai is such a, it's just a short book. And if you haven't read it, go home and read it tonight because um, yeah. there's some good stuff in there just about how our choices really matter and uh, um, how I really think what it tries to illustrate is, is that obedience, um, that the obedience of God's people uh, is part of how God works in this world. Mm-hmm. And man. Yeah. Obedience and humility. Obedience right? and, and humility <laughs> and, and, and action. But he, he, he takes the obedience of his people and uses that to facilitate his will in, in this world. Yeah. And um, we, like, we get to be a part of that. Which should lead to humility. Which should lead to humility <laughs> right. and should yeah. lead to action because yeah. we know that he is moving and wanting to do things. We don't need to be distracted by our own self-interests, right? Like they right. were. Right. Um, uh, we need to be about what he wants and what he's doing mm-hmm. uh, and praising him. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of, lot of takeaways from tonight. Um, but that is all the time we have. So thank you all for joining us. Um, We hope to see you Sunday morning at 9.30 for Sunday school, 10.30 for worship. Um, Until then, we'll catch you on the flippity flip. (laughs) See ya. Thank you for joining us for sharing our journey. If you have a Bible question, please send it to mark at harrodsburgbaptist.org and we'll try to answer it in the future. If you'd like to join us for worship, we come together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Harrodsburg Baptist Church, 312 South Main Street, Harrodsburg, Kentucky. For more information, follow us on social at HBC Harrodsburg or visit harrodsburgbaptist.org. As you go, we pray that you will share your journey toward Jesus with others. May the love of the Father, the grace of Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you.